HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, everybody. I'm Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. We're on tour down here broadcasting live from the Le Creuset Podcast Studio at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash charleston2019 to see our full schedule. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Le Creuset and the Julia Child Foundation, for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival possible. We're down here. It's a scorcher. It is in the 80s. We are in a tent. We're drinking some cold beverages, and I am super excited to be joined right now by Matt Jamie, who's the founder of Bourbon Barrel Foods, America's only micro soy sauce brewery. Thanks so much for joining me, Matt. Thanks for having me. So what does that mean, micro soy sauce brewery? Well, in the U.S., um, you know, people are familiar with one brand. It's Kiko Man. Yep. And they're like the Budweiser of the soy sauce industry. <laughs> they have five plants worldwide. They have two plants in the U.S. Uh, they make 200,000 gallons a day. They'll, a lot. they'll spill more in an afternoon than we make in a year. Right. So that's the micro part of it. Got it. But we set ourselves up uh, in a very Japanese style. Um, you know, we, we buy our beans locally. You know, we buy our wheat locally. We have water trucked in from Bardstown, Kentucky to limestone filtered spring water. It's that water that the distillers like to use because sure. it has body. Um, and we age in bourbon barrels. So you're you know? doing a lot of things. You're not only running a small scale soy sauce brewery mm -hmm. but you are also connecting that to the history of the place in Kentucky and using bourbon barrels as well absolutely so you know when I came up with this idea and I was like <laughs> you're shaking your head <laughs> I mean when I came up with this idea I was I felt like I had a moment you know, I was really excited about it. But when you have an idea that you think is a good idea, then the first thing you do is you see if anybody else has had this same spectacular idea. Right. I couldn't find anybody in the U.S. that was doing this. And so then you ask yourself why no one else was doing it, because there has to be a reason. Like this idea, in my mind, was a golden idea. Yeah, it seems like such a great idea. Right. Well, Am I really that smart? Right. Yeah, and I'm not, <laughs> is the thing. And so, you know, I, I went through those two steps. Um, 
and I couldn't find anything to keep me from doing it. And so I actually wrote a very extensive, very well thought out business plan for this. And one of the things that I, I did was I was able to connect history and heritage, you know, between the distilling of bourbon and the brewing of soy sauce, but also process. You know, bourbon is a uh, fermented distilled product. Yep. Soy sauce is a brewed fermented product. Right. And, you know, it was, you know, from there it was that that aha moment. And yeah. this, this was, I started writing my plan in like 2003, 2004. I started my company in 2006, which in 2006, I'm not sure any of the bourbon distillers back then knew that we would be that the industry would grow to what it is now. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there was a shortage yeah. a couple of years ago because nobody had even made enough. I mean, it's a it's a very interesting connection. I feel like your company is at the sort of nexus of, like, very popular flavors in this moment in the United States. I mean, I got lucky. <laughs> you know, the timing for starting this company was the luck component to it. I'm sure. not discounting any kind of hard work or struggle that we did, but you know, I'll take good, you know, good luck Absolutely. over hard work any day. Yeah. And you know, so I was I said the right thing at the right time, I, but I, I executed. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your process. So, you know, mm. tell for for people who don't know who are listening, how is soy sauce made? Sure. So you know, the first thing I had to do was teach myself how to make soy sauce because I knew nothing about making soy sauce. I just thought that this was a great idea. Um, so I started connecting things. You know, I, I, was a, I worked as a chef um, and I could make things, but I couldn't do food manufacturing. So I had to right. create a supply chain. Yep. Um, and as I was doing this, I, things started to come together. Like, yeah, this is an idea that you need to pursue. I found a, a non-GMO soybean producer in Kentucky, who was uh, contract growing for the Japanese soy and miso market already. Wow. Yeah. So you knew that it was the right quality, it was the right product that right. was being sent over to Japan. Oh, the things I know about soybeans now, like I never really would have imagined. I had to go to the University of Kentucky Department of Ag, uh, Ag Marketing, Ag Economics, and, you know, find a food grade bean. I didn't know there were like three dozen different varieties of soybean to choose from, food grade, seed grade. You know, I mean, it was so finding Chris uh, Coomer, who was my, my grower at the time, you know, he was like, well, that's a cool idea. And he's somewhat of an entrepreneur himself. And so I found the beans, you know, it was a local bean. I found the wheat, the soft red winter variety. You know, not every bourbon uses wheat in their production, but those that do use the soft red winter, yeah. you know, Makers is a good example for that. Uh, connecting with the, the water source, right. which, you know, my Japanese counterpart, um, and I, I have friends over there now that are soy sauce brewers. I went 10 years without ever going to Japan. I've been uh, doing this for 13 years now, and he argued with me over the type of water that I was using. <laughs> and he's like, it's too hard, it's too hard. You know, soy sauce needs a softer water. Um, because... You know, for the Japanese, the way they use soy sauce is a lot different than the way we use it. Absolutely. So it is supposed to be an enhancement. Yep. 
it's you're not supposed to taste the soy sauce right. when you're eating something. Right. And you know, like say sushi or sashimi, um, it's considered rude to the food. Yeah. So, but in the U.S., I mean, we're we love our condiments. We sure do. And we like that heavy flavor. Of course. And so I, I explained to him that, you know, that water was a part of where I was from, yeah. part of our terroir. Yeah. And, you know, in the way Americans use soy sauce, and it made sense. It made it a little heavier, bolder, gave it more body. Yep. So he accepted that. Um, the bourbon barrel was actually an afterthought. Um, I thought it was too cliche at first. <laughs> and it wasn't that I hadn't thought about it, but I utilized... I, I, I was not shy about calling people and asking their opinions on what it was I was doing. Yeah. And, you know, if I read something, I'd call the author of the article. Well, I connected with Mark Bittman um, at one yep. point, and he was like, why don't you just put it in bourbon barrels? And I was like, eh, all right. So <laughs> I did. I give him full credit for that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the you know, soy sauce in Kentucky, just it works. Yeah. No, I mean, and, it may, and and like I said, you're at the nexus of this thing, and the bourbon barrels only get used once. That's correct. The bourbon gets aged in them, and then they are empty. And they're essentially a leftover piece of the process. So the ability that you now have to take that vessel, mm -hmm. which is the right size for small batch fermentation, yep. for a manufacturing, I mean, it, it really, I, I, love, I love how it all comes together. So, yeah, the barrels were free, and then, like, the first time I purchased, they were $35. And then, like, a couple months later, they were 70 And then right. they were over 100 And, <laughs> and then, that's partially your then fault, it was right? 200 <laughs> And then it was, they're not available to you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so now is your process that you are also, do you, does the barrel have a timeline? Or like in Japan, where you can have a cedar barrel that is used over and over and over again, are you using barrels over and over again? Or are you not because of the flavoring that's still coming out of that wood? No, we use them uh, up to three times. Got it. What happens is uh, those iron hoops start to oxidize. Sure. You know, soy sauce is a bit more caustic than bourbon. Indeed, yeah. Um, and, and, and very salty. I can't afford to put stainless hoops on the outside yeah. of them. But, you know, it's they're built well. Um, you know, we get three years use out of them. Great. And then, you know, we repurpose them. Yeah, yeah. Do you work with specific distilleries now? I mean, I see on your site you have some partnerships with Woodford Reserve. I do. It doesn't affect my soy sauce manufacturing, though, but I do licensing for Woodford Reserve, Got Old it. Forester. Cool. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, let's taste some. You brought yeah. some great stuff. So what what order should I taste? I have four things in front of me here. All right. So first one we're going to taste is the bluegrass soy sauce. Great. And so this is the uh, original product that we did. Um, I was a Budweiser drinker, so if you read... I really, I made this print on here, it's small, so that you had to concentrate when you were reading it. <laughs> and the, um, it reads a lot like that Budweiser label. But you'll also see at the bottom where we hand letter each batch and bottle. Oh, for sure. Um, and as we've grown, that's become like a point of contention with the person that has to write the <laughs> labels out. So, but it's, you know, it's kind of our nod to small batch bourbon. Um, you know, it's, mm. This particular product ages for a full year in a bourbon barrel. Um, it's meaty, brothy, leathery. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's delicious. It's, I mean, it it tastes very much to me like some of you know I've I've been to Japan a number of times and have visited a couple of 
soy sauce brewers and I visited some miso makers and had tamari and, and all of that stuff. And to me, the first taste of your straight soy sauce is what in Japan would be, you know, a very like on the heavier side mm-hmm. of soy sauce. Like you said, Americans, we like our condiments. We're not using soy sauce as an accent. We're using soy sauce as a flavor. Right. You know, there's some other things that can go in. Like the FDA makes me put on the back that it's a full tablespoon as a serving size. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm not getting anywhere with them. But that's a lot of soy sauce. That is a lot of soy sauce. So, Especially with as much flavor as you're packing into that. I mean, Right, right. So, you know, this is exciting for me, the way you want to taste this. Because when you come visit me in Louisville in our, um, in our factory, we taste soy sauce like you'd taste wine. Yeah. I want you to, you know, look at the color. Yep. You know, clarity in soy sauce is very important. Um, I want you to smell it. You know, I want you to see the aroma. I want you to look at inside the vessel that I hand it to you in, how it textures yeah. the ceramic. Yep. Um, and then I want you to have it in your mouth and feel how each one of these four soy sauces that we make, how it coats your mouth. Um, so the bluegrass soy sauce we've been making for 13 years. Uh, last year, we extended the line to include three new products. Mm. Um, and what you're tasting right now is our imperial soy sauce. So it's a double fermented soy sauce. Oh, it's much more viscous. I mean, it's more viscous than the uh, other one, for yes. sure. It's thick. I mean, you can even just look in the bottle how it coats the glass. Whew, so wow, when, that is intense. When we make our bluegrass soy sauce, we reserve the water that we've cooked the beans in. Um, then we make our brine out of that. Okay, when we do the double fermented soy sauce, I take a batch of soy uh-huh. as our brine to another koji and then put that in there for an additional six months in the barrel. Wow, okay. So, you know, the, you would use it for the yeah. same things that you would use regular soy sauce. Sure. But you'll notice, like, the flavor is much more intense. You Way more intense. More coffee, like espresso, yep. more, more chocolate, more like a, Absolutely. a raw chocolate, a cacao. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, this is, uh, back home, we've, it's been out about a year. This is a chef favorite. Of course, yeah, I, I, am, I imagine so. I mean, this is the kind of thing that I can imagine where the original bluegrass soy sauce, I can see as something that people might, if a recipe calls for a tablespoon, you might put a tablespoon in. Yeah. If you did that with the double fermented, I feel like you're really going to be kind of overdoing it. But this is such a more flavorful product that I feel like this could stand up to, uh, you know, as a finishing. You know, right. you're putting it, putting a little bit on, a, say, a, a, a koji rubbed steak mm. or something like that. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite things with this, we did a compound butter with it. Oh, for sure. We, we took some egg yolk, uh, butter, double fermented soy sauce, and some togarashi, and then just let it melt on a on a wood-fired steak. Oh, sounds sounds fantastic. Um, This third one we're going to try. We're going to try it together because I can't open this and then not try it (laughs) because this is like one of my faves. So I'm just going to put a drop on the back of your hand. Yep. And this is smoked. Oh, okay. Wow. You want another one, don't you? I do. 100%. this, uh, This is our bluegrass soy sauce. Wow. And we smoke this with bourbon barrel staves. So the same smokers that we smoke our spices in. Right, right, right. We, uh, we have a method where we, we load up soy sauce and smoke it. 
our concern is that we smoke it too long because that moisture just wants to suck in the smoke. So sure. you really keep a close eye on it. But my daughter, when she was 10 years old and I was first developing these product, this particular product, she tasted it and it was like the honesty of a 10 year old. And she's just, <laughs> she's always been really in tune with her palate. And she's like, tastes like country ham. Yeah, it totally does. It tastes like country ham. And, you know, so we went from the, the original bluegrass soy sauce, which is, you know, very strong, uh, like, you know, American palate style to the double fermented imperial, which is strong, maybe a little swipe for a garnish to the smoked, which, those of you listening, you can't see it, but it's in a dropper bottle. And I literally had one drop of it, and it does. It tastes like a drop of something like country ham. I can imagine, I mean, I, you know, last night I went out, I had oysters here in Charleston. Like one drop of that in a really fatty oyster would just, I can tell, would be amazing. I did just that. <laughs> uh, I was at a buddy's oyster bar, and I busted my own bottle out, and then just one drop um, on each oyster. I mean, it was almost too much yeah I mean I enjoy the taste of oysters it's sure, one of sure, my sure. favorite foods yeah. but yeah it really enhances amazing um, the other thing the, the last product that we did on this line extension was our small batch ponzu right and I was excited I hadn't seen that one before um, when I was doing some research for the show here so this is uh, my making lemonade out of lemons and so one of the products that we do for Old Forester is an oleosaccharum syrup which requires us to hand peel up to 400 lemons at a time and just use the peel. So I have wow. all this meat left over. So we started pressing it and making developed our ponzu right. with that. And so it's a base is our bluegrass soy sauce, rice wine vinegar, fresh pressed lemon juice, bonito flakes, pinch of cayenne, and you know in Japan like a, a ponzu might have sake in it, but yep. we throw in hundred proof old forester. Oh yeah. And again, usage is the same. Yep. And so this is a, I don't like to say lighter, but it's, it's a much yep. brighter yep. flavor. For sure. Um, you know, you, you see ponzu on menus, and typically it's for dumplings and whatnot. But yep. you could certainly do sashimi with this. Absolutely. fish. Yeah. We dress salads with it. Um, I mean, I would want to dress, you know, in, in the keeping with, you know, we're talking about, like, strong flavors. Mm-hmm. I would want to dress, like, a gravlax. Oh, yeah. Or even a smoked salmon with it, something like that. Yeah. No, these are all things that I saw when I went to Japan. Sure. Well, I mean, the thing that's amazing to me, right, having having been to Japan, is that here, as you point out, like, people say, oh, I need some soy sauce. There's, like, one. Mm -hmm. I mean, now you have yours, which is really an incredible cut above. But, you know, there's not that many, right? Same thing has happened here in something like beer, right? There used to be, you know, Budweiser. And now look at the vast variety. You go to Japan and you're getting soy sauces that come and ponzus in vast variety. They have double fermented. I have a double fermented one at home that a friend sent me from Japan. And I have, you know, white soy sauce that is super light that doesn't age very long at all before right. they press it. Right. It's, uh, if you go in, in Japan, there's 1,500 microbrewers of soy sauce in Japan. Yep. There's one here in the U.S. But this is one of the things that I've been extremely proud of is that, you know, in my travels there, I've connected with soy sauce brewers, and one of them has become a very dear friend of mine. He's in Wakayama, Japan, sure. birthplace of Japanese-style fermentation and soy sauce. But I've also connected around the world. You know, yep. I, I work with a guy in Rotterdam, Holland, that started a soy sauce brewery uh, five years ago. So he cool. He visited me four times. I finally went and visited him in August. Um, 
and he's doing some spectacular things. You know, he's much more of the mad scientist than <laughs> I am when it comes to these things. But, you know, and I used to say I was the only blonde haired guy in the world that made soy Now there's two. Now there's two of you. Yes. Um, and, and Thomas, uh, he's got his soy sauce brewery is called Tomasu. And he's, he's making a wonderful product, you know, and his passion for it. Like he saw me on a, a show that it, it was an American show, but it aired in Europe. And he saw me, he booked a plane ticket the next day and came to visit me. Wow. Not even knowing if I was going to open my door and say, hey, right. He's on, like, I'm just going to go peek in the secret. window. <laughs> so he, he and I developed a close relationship, you know, and now I've, I have people contacting me. I got a guy in Vancouver that wants to, you know, pick my brain on some things and I'm totally open to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, you would think that I would want to be as protective as possible you know, for, for the product that I make. But I feel as though, you know, you brought up microbrew beer. I used that in my business plan. You know, the first yeah. guy that did a microbrew beer got the, you know, how are you going to compete with Budweiser and Coors? And it's like, right. I'm not. Right. At the end of the day, that guy's not competing with him. Look at that sure. market now. Of course. And so with me, there's, you know, there's validation in numbers. Um, of know, course. If it's just me, then it's like, oh, wow, it's a one-off. But now I've got people wanting to join in yeah. and do what we're doing and it you know it creates a community and we all kind of help each other and you do a whole variety of other things too I mean if you go to your website bourbonbarrelfoods.com there's I mean you've got smoked paprika that's smoked over bourbon staves and you've got spice blends yeah. and you've got smoked salts I mean you've got an incredible array of other products that are that surround these it would look like I went a little crazy <laughs> uh but in the gourmet foods industry, you need to be relevant year after year. Of course. And yeah, I have over 75 products that we make now. Um, and it's helped. You know, the soy sauces are our most popular. Uh, it's not my number one seller. Oh, interesting. No. Um, but, you know, I, I paid for this project with all those other products. You Got know, it. Bourbon smoked sea salt, bourbon smoked pepper, bourbon smoked paprika, sugar, sesame seeds, togarashi, chili powder. You know, I could go on and on. Right. Um, but it's it really helped us establish in Louisville during this bourbon boom as the gourmet foods company of bourbon country. Absolutely. And I've enjoyed it. I, what I do does not feel like work. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the dream. It is. It is. And you know, I feel like I've my kids are starting to repeat that kind of language with me. You know, where if they if you do something you're passionate about, it doesn't feel like work. Um, but you know, in 13 years, my company has changed. You know, I yeah. used to be the guy that did everything. Yeah. How big is your staff now? We have 25 people, wow. and um, you know, they're. In, Everybody there is important to me. Yeah. They actually make me look smart. And, you know, I, it, I can leave. Well, I mean, I, yeah, right, you're here. You're in Charleston, yeah. right? I mean, and, and I hope that, the, you know, I hope that the, the city of Louisville takes notice of that, right? That you yeah. were a one-man band, and now you employ 25 people full-time. I mean, that's a big deal. You know, they've allowed me to do things. Uh, like, you know, most of what I do is product development. Yeah. You know, we do snack category for us is huge now. It's like one area where we're growing. We came out with a cookbook yep. about a year ago. Yeah, I have it here. It's called Eat Your Bourbon. Uh, it's a real tome. It's a heavy one, but it's God. beautiful. It's such a great, anything. such a great book. Um, yeah, very proud of it. You know, and this was uh, 
a collaboration within the office. You know, I have a graphic designer on staff. We had a research chef on staff. I have a photographer on retainer that did everything. And then um, it just kind of came together. Yeah. I'm really excited for the story that it tells in there. There's my recipes, but there's also uh, chefs that are customers that have recipes in there, some Charleston chefs. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we have some passionate consumers that we reached out and asked them to include some. Um, so it's, you know, I'm proud of the book. And it's that Eat Your Bourbon tagline has been gold for us. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just one of those things I said. Yeah. And before I is. knew it, I was defending a trademark. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Matt, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sitting down with me here in our sauna studio. I feel like we're all going to leave here a little bit, you know, healthier and a little bit lighter. Uh, but it's been really, it's been fantastic. And I look forward to coming to Louisville and visiting you in a couple yeah. of weeks. Thank you. Thank you to Le Creuset and Julia Child Foundation for making Heritage Radio Network on tour at Charleston Wine and Food possible this week. I'm Harry Rosenblum, host of Feast Your Ears here on Heritage Radio. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Listen to over 10,000 episodes of food radio podcasts and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.